Yo, yo, what up? Ryuji here. Welcome back to the Two Rowdy Vegans podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. It means the world to us. And uh, this week, we got a throwback episode. But let me tell you the story about how this all came together. So right now, it's actually Saturday morning. It's about 4.30 a.m. here in California. I didn't wake up. I'm actually still not in bed. So, you know, I just got finished with another project. And I was like, let me do the podcast now. And what happened is that yesterday, so Friday or today rather for me, Renee texted me being like, yo, so what are we going to do for the podcast today? And I was like, hmm, I don't actually know. You know, usually we got a few episodes kind of lined up, some some new content, but right now we just don't have anything new. And so <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure what we're going to do. And I was working on some other projects. And now 4.30 a.m., um, I still didn't have anything and I had two choices, basically. One of my choices was to kind of ignore it and forget about it. And, you know, I was like, well, I'll figure something out tomorrow. Or I could stick to my commitment and, you know, put out this podcast before I go to bed. So clearly I decided this was going to be the case. And so what I came up with was, hey, I remembered the first time that Renee and I met or the first time that we actually started hanging out. It was actually at a conference in Arizona. And uh, so what I wanna share with you today in this week's podcast is the first interview I did with Renee. And I think this is so epic because this is basically the origin story of the two rowdy vegans. You know, at the time, you know, now we're really close friends, but at the time we were just starting to get to know each other. And uh, so it's kind of kind of epic to see the dynamic there. You'll see that, you know, it's Renee King Sonnen. And in, in the interview, I'm like, I wasn't even sure. I couldn't even remember that part. So I was like, oh, I'm with Renee King. It's, it's really funny. But if you want to hear the first time that essentially Renee and I were on camera together, then this is what we're going to crack into right now. I think it's a pretty epic moment to document. And I'm really happy I came up with this idea, actually. It's a creative a creative solution to this problem I had, right? On top of that, I recorded an intro already on my camera and I don't have the piece to like, like I basically couldn't transfer the file to my laptop. So I had to figure out another solution, which is why I'm using a phone right now to record this intro. Always find solutions to problems. Uh, mini lesson here from yours truly, you know, wisdom from a 23 year old kid. Anyways, I rambled a lot on this intro. <laughs> We're going to get right into the podcast right now. Enjoy. Two, two, two rowdy vegans. 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 Two, two rowdy vegans. One plus one equals two rowdy vegans. What's up, Ryuji here. We out here in Arizona State University. I'm here with Renee King from Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. She is the wife of an ex cattle rancher and she transformed that cattle ranch into a vegan sanctuary and not only that she's actually supporting cattle ranchers around the country in transitioning their cattle ranchers and ranches excuse me and their farms into vegan businesses probably like most people who are watching this actually know you so for the two people who are watching no. right now who have no idea who you are can you tell your story um you know where you came from how you became vegan and how you came to do the work that you do today well, sure, Ryuji. Thank you for that. I uh, appreciate your uh, your candor and your heart for this uh, for, for animal rights. And you know what happened was I actually um, married my husband for the second time, and uh, we were married once, and uh, we divorced, mm -hmm. and we met, remained friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and ten years later, uh, I'm selling real estate, and he's got a ranch, and um, we married. 
and I moved in and I wasn't prepared to fall in love with all the cows. Um, I'm a city girl. You know, I didn't, I wasn't raised on the ranch. Mm -hmm. uh, I was raised in Houston. And so when I moved to the ranch, that was my first, uh, my first like inkling of what it was like to be around all these cows. I mean, because when you're, like I always say, when you're eating a ribeye, you're not supposed to, you know, be friends with it. You know, you're not supposed to be petting your ribeye and, you know, and snuggling up with the T-bone steak. You don't do that. But what happened is when I was at the cattle ranch, I began to have feelings for the animals that we eat. And it became a real problem for me. Um, you know, Tommy wanted me to get more involved in the ranch, so I uh, started bottle feeding a little baby named Rowdy Girl. And that's the reason why the sanctuary is called Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, is because of little Rowdy Girl. And a lot of people think I'm a Rowdy Girl, which that's fine, because I'm pretty rowdy too. She is. <laughs> She is 100%. <laughs> but so it's, it's all cool. And so I started feeding Rowdy Girl and she started feeding me a line to the cows. So it was like when I would feed Rowdy Girl, I would be lost in like Alice in Wonderland. When you take a pill and you slide down a rabbit hole, you know, and you go into a whole totally different reality. That's what it was like when I was feeding Rowdy Girl. I would actually see the cows. I'd see the babies. I'd see the community. I could tell that they had feelings. I could tell that they loved each other. I could tell that they wanted to live. For whatever reason, I never knew that before. And actually, I do know the reason now. It's desensitization. It's, it's, we're absolutely programmed not to have those feelings for those animals. And so when I started having them, I couldn't disassociate anymore. It took me four years though of uh, you know having a lot of fights with my husband about the business. I didn't want to be in the business and finally, Finally, I uh, drew the line in the sand and told my husband, I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. You take those, cow those cows up the road one more time and I'm gonna follow that trailer and I'm gonna buy them all back with your credit card and I'm gonna bring <laughs> them all back home. And he was like, you stay out of my business, Renee. And I said, this ain't a business no more to me. This is lives at stake, you know, and you're not gonna do this anymore over my dead body. And he was pissed. Let me tell you, he was mad. He wanted me to leave. I wanted him to leave, and it wasn't happening because if I left, he would have killed the cows. And if he left, he knew I'd, I'd have taken over, and I would have. And so we were at a standoff. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I convinced him after a couple of days to let me buy the cows and um, try to turn this place into a sanctuary. He didn't think I would do it. But I've been talking to a guy named Kip Anderson, which a lot of people know. Mm -hmm. He's the uh, producer or co-producer director, director. director of Cowspiracy. Yeah. Uh, and he's on our board of directors, which uh, he's, uh, he's been a really good mentor to us from the very, very beginning. And he was the one that told me that I could, could do this. I could raise the money on crowdfunding. And he kind of told me how to do it. And I had started a, a blog called Vegan Journal of a Rancher's Wife. And um, next thing you know, I went to my husband with conviction and I said, Tommy, why don't you let me buy your cows? Let me buy them. He said, you, how are you gonna buy my cows? I said, well, you know, let me try. I mean, you know, let me try to buy your cows. If, uh, you know, if you were to sell them right now at the sale barn, how much could you get for them? He said, mm, I think I could probably get 40,000, but how are you gonna buy my cows? I said, just, you know, just appease me. Let me, let me buy your cows, let me try. So he did, and he said I could have him for 30000 
And I said, well, okay, will you let me uh, lease the, the property for a dollar a year, two years? And um, he said, sure, Renee, why not? So anyway, in less than four months, I raised the money. I raised $36,000 on crowdfunding and I bought the cows. And my husband went vegan on May 2nd of 2015. Wow, that's incredible. And when your husband went vegan, because you know you said that you started developing feelings for the animals. Your husband has been a cow rancher for many, many years. Do you think that for him too, he also developed feeling for the animals, but perhaps he suppressed them? Or what was your experience of him? You know, it, he always had feelings for the animals. My husband loves animals. Uh, that's why I know this about, about men like him, cattle ranchers. I mean, I know other people like him. His best friend, his partner, uh, loved animals. And Tommy would um, not even do it himself. Like he couldn't go out there and round up the babies himself. He would have his partner do it because he didn't like the process. It bothered him. And Tommy now really appreciates the fact that these animals never have to go to the cell barn. He'll tell you, that feels so good to me to not yeah. have to send them to the cell barn. And you told me earlier too that Tommy told you to not name the animals. Yep, he told me because I started naming the cows and after I went vegan, I wouldn't even stay home. I would, uh, you know, just hang out with the cows, you know, all day long. I'd only go home when it was nighttime and I had to go to bed because there was all those deer horns and everything in my house. And so I didn't want to like hang out with all that. And, uh, and Tommy, you know, I was out there naming the cows. I was out there naming them every one. And I'd come home and Tommy would tell me, you know, Renee, you got to stop naming them cows. You got to stop naming them. You know, they're going to go, they're going to go to slaughter. And I was like, no, they're not. And they're not going to slaughter. They're not, it's not going to happen anymore. But yeah, so I started uh, naming them and Tommy was like, you don't name the cows you eat. You don't do that. Right, and you also told us just now in the talk that your husband, Tommy, couldn't eat the cows that he had raised himself. No, he couldn't. And that really, whenever I, whenever I started having these feelings for the cows, I began to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of headstrong and I'm a little pushy sometimes. And whenever I have start questioning things, I want, no, I want to know answers. I'm not one of these, that once I, once I see something that should be different, once I know something is wrong, something right, I'm gonna figure it out. And I started figuring out, being around these babies, that there's something not right about what we're doing. I couldn't put my finger on it because ranching is a cultural, traditional heritage. You know, it's, it's part of the American way. It's part of the global economy. And so how can you say there's anything wrong with it? But I started feeling like it was very, very wrong. And so when I started pushing my husband, I would say things to him like, you know, why don't we eat our own cows? And he would tell me he didn't want me to ask him those questions. He didn't want to talk about that. He was, he was like, he was like don't, talk, don't ask me that. And I was like, but I want to know. Well, don't, don't ask me that. I, I don't want to talk about that. Well, so maybe that day he didn't answer me. It was another day. I kept pushing, why don't we eat our own cows? How come we're doing this? How come we buy animals from, I didn't say animals back then, I do now. How come we buy meat from the grocery store and we, you know, send these to the cell barn? And he was like, Renee, because I can't eat the cows that I know. And I was like, oh, really? That just really sounded messed up. So here we are, I'm already seeing that there's something wrong. Now it's really wrong to me. So not only, you know, he, he can't eat the cows because he knows them. And so I start get, doing more research. I start doing more research and I stumble on all kinds of things that continue to make me question. 
And after you've spoken to many different cattle ranchers, after you transform your own cattle ranch, what have you found about those people? What I've found is that they all love their animals and kill them. And this is the this is hard for most vegans to hear because a lot of vegans think, I've talked to a lot of them, that think that, you know, uh, cattle ranchers are just insensitive, they don't have any feelings for these animals, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, they really do love animals, they love land. They just have been sold a bill of goods through history that's false. And that's just the facts. And once they see, like my husband, once he finally saw it, it was life-changing for him. It's changed everything for my husband. And, you know, the other folks we talked to, there's the cattle ranch right now that's transitioning. It's a seventh generation cattle ranch called Star Love. It's in Giddings, Texas. And we're working along with uh, another organization called Farm Transformers to help change them. And you're gonna be hearing a lot more about it in the coming uh, few weeks, actually. And, uh, and so there's that one. And then there's, one, there's a couple of cattle ranches that I know that are both plant-based and they're still killing animals. Wow. Plant-based. And one of them, one of those families are members of ours. So they're a cattle ranch in Texas, killing animals and a member of Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Because mm. they love what we do, they believe in what we do, but they don't know how to get out of what they're doing. Mm. Got it. You know, one thing that we talk about or one thing that vegans get sometimes is that people talk about, oh, you know, like, I agree that factory farming is really bad and that mass production of animals is clearly bad for the animals, it's clearly bad for the environment, it's clearly lose, lose, lose. But many of the ranchers that you are talking to are the, the actual ranchers that people talk about when they talk about, oh, the local organic farm, or, you know, I go to, like, small farms that are humane and things like that, and oftentimes we talk about it from the point of view of the animals, but I think what you shed light on is that these so-called small farms that are more humane perhaps, or it may seem that way, is not a win at all for the ranchers. No. Because they have to do something that they don't want to do themselves. Exactly. They have to do the dirty work. And also talk to me about the animals in those farms, because one thing that you told me yesterday, you said that, you know, we sometimes think that the animals in small ranches have better lives than animals in factory farms. Perhaps we could, we could argue that, but you said that it doesn't mean that they have a good life at all. Well, the thing is, they, they are, they know, the reason why I say that is mm -hmm. because what people don't understand is that animals know they're being farmed for food. Now, you might ask me, and so might you, uh, well, how do you know that? Well, you know, I'm a very sensitive, intuitive woman. And the, the, more, the more vegan I am, the even more sensitive I've become. And, you know, these cows, animals in general, speak to us through their thoughts. They speak to us through their being. You know, we could speak to each other just by being who we are. We wouldn't even have to open our mouth if we would train ourselves to tune in to what's really happening behind the words. Because just because I'm talking doesn't mean I'm not, you know, I'm thinking first. I mean, somehow something's happening to make me want to say all this stuff, right? I don't know what actually sometimes compels me to say some of the things I do but the things come through and whenever we're whenever I'm with the cows I will tell folks like when we're meditating with the cows we enter their domain with reverence and I want you to listen tune into their heart tune into them and what I did when I was going when I went vegan and I was hanging out with the cows 
That's all I did. I stayed in silence with them cows. I listened, I paid attention, I watched, I observed. Them cows know they're being farmed for food. And when they're not being farmed for food, they know it. They let me lay with them. They let me be with them. They put their heads in my lap. They stretched out their neck. I'll never forget the first time a cow stretched out its neck and let me stroke it. What I first saw was a knife slit in its throat. And I was just imagining how, how much confidence that cow had in me, how much trust, and how many of them get their throats slit every second, 3,000 or something, every second. It's just, uh, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah. yeah, and this question is for the next one, for vegan activists or people who talk to people because many of us, and I have myself sometimes encountered people from the farming industry, and I have, for example, recently had a conversation with someone who owns a dairy farm, like a small dairy farm, the sort of rancher that you might have talked to. And so what are some tips, or how do you think that, as me, you know, because I, I have never been close to cattle ranchers, so I'm sure that when you talk to these people, they trust you because you are in their world. So what are some things that I can do, or what are some things I can say, or a way that I can be when I encounter, say, cattle ranchers, and I want to talk to them, because let me tell you that last time when I talked to this lady, when she talked about killing her animals, she seemed like she was going to start crying. I could tell that she didn't want to do it, and I could tell that she loved her animals. She's like, I named my animals. She told me stories about different animals that she's had, this little calf that, that she brought up that, that she couldn't kill, and every time that she brought up killing the animals, she, she didn't even call it killer, she said, I dispatch my animals. She, it literally looked like she was going to start crying. So in those kinds of situations, how can I communicate in a way that's going to be effective? Well, I get asked that question so much. How do I do this? Well, that's one of the reasons why the Rancher Advocacy Program was born. Uh, it's, certainly it's to help the ranchers out there, but another reason is to help activists because we're developing uh, education models, uh, you know, modules also in this so that we can teach you how to do just that. We can teach you, we can show you how to go to these rural communities, uh, you know, with uh, the Rancher Advocacy Program literature that we're going to have. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to Anita Kreitz with the SAVE movement about how to develop, uh, you know, loving and kind vigils at cell barns and we're wanting to create a model where activists can go into cell barns not being rude or mean because when you go into a cell barn you're going to go into a territory where there's a bunch of ranchers and it's a different climate but we're going to we're going to be talking about and strategizing about how to do that so that it's done in a way where there's respect there's reverence and we're there to relieve suffering for both the animal and the rancher so we're going to be teaching activists these modules and uh because it is so difficult. Without the uh, without the the real experience, it's hard to uh, to articulate. It's like a recovering alcoholic. You know, one one recovering alcoholic can really help another person struggling, and that's the reason the Ranchers Advocacy Program is working. Is because we're recovering ranchers for mm -hmm. God's sake, right? And so. That's what's, that's what's yeah. happening. Well, thank you so much. You know, you're such a visionary in this movement. 
everything that you do inspires me so much and in particular one thing that really stuck with me through our conversation throughout these past couple days we spent together is you talked about how by transforming the ranches you're cutting the supply chain mm -hmm. as an activist i focus a lot on the consumers and i focus a lot on talking to people and getting them to understand that a better choice for them would be to stop eating animals and animal products for the animals the environment and themselves and being in alignment with their own values and etc cetera, etc cetera. but you talked about how you know, when you get a cattle ranch to actually transform into a vegan business, you're cutting the supply. And I thought that was such an, it, like it was, it was kind of like a mind blowing moment for me because I was like, oh, this is another approach, but it works on a level of the chain that, you know, like I'm not familiar with. Yep. Uh, and I thought it was, it was so inspiring that you did that. So is there any last words that you would like to tell someone who's watching this that maybe you have some remaining thoughts or anything that you want to leave people with? Well, I just want to always say that never, ever give up. Always believe that you can make a difference. Um, if there's cattle rancher families that you know and you want to uh, help encourage them to make, maybe think of something different, send them to our website, rowdygirlsanctuary.org slash RAP. That's uh, where the Rancher Advocacy, Advocacy Program is. And just, uh, just always believe, always believe that you can make a difference because you do. Yeah, and if Renee can make a difference in her cattle ranching community, then you can definitely make a difference in your family because many people have given up on their families. I get messages very yeah. frequently of people who are like, my family is never gonna change. My parents will never, gonna, will never change, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, seeing you transform your family transform, you know, like, and really standing up in a way that's unapologetic and transforming cattle ranch and supporting other cattle ranchers transform their businesses. Um, it really makes me think that anyone can make a difference in anyone's life and we all have the potential to change. Yeah, and there is a vegan world coming by 2026. So y'all, y'all stay tuned for that too and follow, uh, follow climatehealers.org. Yeah, so thank you again so much for this interview. Thank you so much for all these inspiring words. Hope you learned something. I'm sure you learned a lot. I'm sure you're very inspired. So thank you again so much for watching. We really appreciate it. Have an incredible rest of your day wherever you are and peace. That was incredible. Good. That was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Two Rowdy Vegans Means the World to Us, and hope you enjoyed this origin story, this little piece of history, as I would like to call it in my mind. Anyways, have an incredible rest of your day and an incredible rest of your week as well. Talk to you next week. Peace. Two, two, two rowdy vegans. 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 Two, two rowdy vegans, one plus one equals two rowdy vegans. <laughs> <laughs>